Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 2, Term 3, and Lesson 22. We're going to pick up where we left off, looking at John's testimony of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 29, where it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away, or is taking away, the sin of the world. Alright. Arkent Hughes, in his commentary, writes, For centuries, Israel's consciousness had been programmed with the idea of the sacrificial lamb. With John's statement, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, their Jewish minds went as far back as Abraham and Isaac. When Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And remember what Abraham replied, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Remember that? And you know what? At that point in time, Isaac didn't have to die. Because they found a ram in the thicket, but the covenant terms had been set. God's covenant partner was willing to give up his only son. And God now was obligated to do the same. Amen? God obligated himself through his covenant partner. See, a lot of times when God asks you to do something, it's for your own good, not for his. It's very different to normal parents. You know, normal parents is like, oh, we're doing this for your good. And the kid goes, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Okay. But God is the ultimate parent. When he says, I'm doing this for your own good, he actually is doing it for your own good. You know, and so in doing that, in Abraham making that statement, now behold the Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sin of the world. Amen. Alright, so further to this, John MacArthur also tells us that the use of a lamb for sacrifice was very familiar to Jews. A lamb was used as a sacrifice during Passover, Exodus 12. Okay. A lamb was led to the slaughter in the uh, prophecies of Isaiah, in Isaiah 53 verse 7. A lamb was offered in daily sacrifices of Israel, that's in Exodus 29, I'm giving you the verses. And then MacArthur concludes, John the Baptist used this expression as a reference to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to atone for the sins of the world. So they had been used to the lamb being offered up to atone for their sins, okay, on different occasions. And John is saying, here he is finally. This is not just a lamb, this is the lamb that God has now provided. All the other lambs man provided, this one God provided. And he said, this is going to do the job. Amen? The other ones had temporary effect. This is going to have a permanent effect. Hallelujah. In other words, as Leon Morris puts it, all that the ancient sacrifices foreshadows was perfectly fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ. So all the other um, sacrifices foreshadowed His coming. And they kept atoning for sin. And it, you know, it just kept pushing it under the carpet, so to speak. Do you understand? But... All of that was perfectly fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross. That's the reason why when you come to Christ, your sins, they're literally erased. If you can imagine, you know, a page with all of this writing, all of it being your sin. And when you receive Jesus, the page just suddenly goes blank. All the writing just falls off the page. All the things that the devil 
had spent your entire life getting you to do and mess up and do the wrong thing and the, all the regrets you have, all of that just falls off the page. Isn't that incredible? That's why, you know, the devil goes, no, no, don't accept him as Lord. You want freedom. You know, he always points towards freedom. It's never freedom. He wants to keep this over you. Do you know those people are never really free? They are plagued by guilt. They are plagued by all the mistakes that they've made. Just everything bad that has happened in their life. And there's no forgiveness for it. You know, as much as a psychiatrist says, no, you've got to forgive yourself, sweetheart. You can try to do that. But when there's a devil around, it doesn't work. You need God's forgiveness. You need the Holy Spirit to come and cleanse your heart and take that away. So that it's no longer there. Amen? Alright. Continuing on. John the Baptist goes on to say in John chapter 1 and verse 30 and 31. This is, now, okay, before I get into this. These next two verses, I have added a lot of information into them, okay? And I'm going to explain it out to you. So let me just read it first, if that's okay. All right? In John chapter 1, verse 30, this is John the Baptist saying, This is he of whom I said, okay? This is in John 1, 15, all right? It already said, After me comes a man, one that was... Now, notice he says, after me comes a man, alright? So he's saying, one that was born after me, and whose ministry began after mine. Remember, Jesus is six months younger to John. Okay, remember, Elizabeth had the visitation, and then six months later, Mary had the visitation. Okay? So John is older by six months. Alright? But notice he says here, after me comes a man. Again, one that was born after me, whose ministry began after mine, who is preferred before me. Okay, so he's saying even though he came out, see, this, this is foreign to the Jewish thinking. If you came first, you get all the blessing. Remember Isaac and remember all that business that happened there? Okay, Esau and Jacob and all that stuff, okay? That, that was the thing, man. And they were twins, they both came out, just one came out before the other one. You see, even if you beat them by a couple of seconds, you get everything. Okay, so in the Jewish mind, and again, that, that was the problem they had with when um, Samuel, I believe, went to anoint Je- you know, one of Jesse's boys. And he said, you know, bring me your sons. And he brings all the sons and he goes, you got any more? That's <laughs> not a question you normally ask. I mean, he bought that many kids. How many more do you want? I'll go make one. No. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> but you know, you know as, a, as a priest, don't take for granted, man. I mean, we're just human too. It's hard for us to go. Do you got another kid? Because none of these are doing it for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. And, and he had to ask. And he said, oh yeah, I got one more scraggly one out looking after the sheep. You want him? You know why? Because their mentality was the first one. Yeah. That's the one that God looks on and favors and everything else. Only problem is God doesn't think that way. God says, which one has their heart toward me? That's the one I'm picking. Amen? Because David was a man after God's own heart. Remember that? So, John is making a statement that is very un-Jewish now. That's why he's trying to get these people to know now. Because they're going to almost want John to be the Messiah. Remember, they're going to sort of say, are you the one who we were told were coming in? He's going, it wasn't me. But when Jesus comes and says, I don't know, we don't want you. Interesting, isn't it? They're willing to accept John. Do you know why? Because he came from good, good stock. Daddy was a priest. Mommy was from the tribe of Aaron. You know, they're all priests. So we know you're a good kid. This one we don't know. It's a carpenter. It's a, I don't know where they're from. They didn't realize that parents were royal blood. 
never looked hard enough. One from a priestly stock, the other one was from royal blood. They're looking for David. He's coming. Anyway, stupid. Anyway, let's get, <laughs> let's get back to this. So he says, one who is preferred before me or is more important than I am. So he has to make this point. Even though he's coming after me, he's more important than I am. Okay? And he says, for he was before me. Or literally, he existed long before I did. That's the New Living Translation. Okay, once again, substantiating John 1.1. 1, 1. Remember again, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Doesn't matter when He came. The fact was, He was God. You know, some people say, oh, you know, my religious leader came before yours, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. John came before Him and he knew he was more superior to Him. Are you all with me? So it doesn't matter who came first. What matters is, who was it? Amen? This was God, man. <laughs> okay? Verse 31. He says, I did not know him. Alright? Now what he's saying is, I did not know him as the Christ from prior knowledge. But it had to be, and I'm adding all this now, right? It had to be revealed to me supernaturally from above, as brought out in verse 33. Okay? So we're going to see that in a minute. When God speaks to John, that through my testimony of him which is brought out in verse 34, which we will also see in a moment, he should be revealed to Israel as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Therefore, I came baptizing with water to allow me to do this. So let me explain all that. We're going to see these verses in a minute. All right. So he's making reference to what's coming as well. That's why this doesn't make sense otherwise when you just read it straight out. Okay. So he's saying, listen, I am here to reveal the Messiah. I'm going to get knowledge and information from God. God is going to speak to me. The Spirit is going to speak to me. I'm going to know what to do, what to say. And my job is to let everybody know, here He is. This is the Messiah. As important as you think I am, He is more important. And if you think I'm important, then please listen to what this important person is saying about a more important person. Did you get all of that? Okay? All right. Leon Morris writes, One might have thought that John's baptism was concerned largely with leading people to repent, but this was not its final purpose. This very clearly tells us that John baptized so that the Messiah should be revealed or made manifest to Israel. Israel needed to know this was their Messiah. I mean, how many things does God have to do? Seriously. These people are going to question Jesus all the way through his life. And there's John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. No, we don't want to hear that. Are you the Christ? No, behold the Lamb of God. This one, this is the one. You like me? He's better. <laughs> okay? You prefer me? I prefer him. Are you all getting this? Okay. Verse 32. And John bore witness saying, I saw, and this was with his physical eyes, all right, not in a vision, the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained. Now that is significant, that the Spirit not only descended upon him, but also remained upon him. Okay, because the Spirit would come and go in seasons. This time the Spirit came and stayed. That's huge. Amen? We need to acknowledge that and we need to see it. All right. So notice here that the Apostle John takes for granted 
that the readers are well acquainted with the other gospel accounts of this event. And so he purposely doesn't go into much detail about it here. So we're going to see all of this as we go. However, he does elaborate on the significance of what happened at the time. In John chapter 3 and verse 34, when he records what John the Baptist says about Jesus, and that is, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Did you get that? Take that for all it's worth. Okay, he says, for the person that God sends, all right, not man, not some religious institution, but this one God sent, he actually speaks everything that God once said. Which is, remember, 400 years of silence. Suddenly there's somebody in the land talking and speaking God's word. Not oral traditions, not oral laws, not elders' laws, God's word. Amen? <laughs> Boy, you can see this, can't you? All sorts of problems going to rise up from that one. Because, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and you know, all those doctors of the law, they kept putting the oral law above the law of Moses, the, the law of God. You know, and one day, the word turns up on feet. And they're saying, oh no, it's in the law. It says not to do that. And he goes, which law? And he says, your traditions and all of your stuff has made the word of God of none effect. And he's like, you people don't even know what you believe anymore. Anyway, we'll get all, we'll get, I'm jumping way ahead now. Let's get back to this. All right. So again, he says here, for him, who, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. All right. We're going to get to that. We'll look at it when we get to it. The early church constantly preached this, according to Acts chapter ten, verse thirty-eight, saying, "You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power." Amen. So it was it was a significant fact that the Spirit not only descended but remained. On him. Amen. Returning to John chapter 1. John the Baptist now goes on to say in verse 33. I, I did not know him. But he. This time referring to God the Father. Who sent me to baptize with water. Said to me. Now see now we're finding out. Okay. Where this came from. Upon whom you see the spirit descending. And remaining on him. This is he. Who baptizes with what? The Holy Spirit. Interesting, isn't it? Didn't say water, because John's already doing the water thing. Amen? He says, this one is going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. That's something else. That's God. Amen? D.A. Carson writes, that Jesus would baptize His people in the Holy Spirit is simultaneously an attestation of who He is, and an announcement that the promised age is dawning. We are now kings and priests, all of us. Amen? Hallelujah. So, aside from the obvious, Leon Morris goes on to point out that what John is implying here is that unlike water baptism, the Spirit leads people into infinite, divine, spiritual resources. Something that had not been possible previously. For there is a quality of life that Christ and none other makes available. This life is a positive gift from the Spirit of God, 
Baptism with water had essentially a negative significance. Do you understand? It is a cleansing from whatever. That was, that's what baptism was. But with the baptism with the Spirit, it's positive. It is the bestowal of new life in God. So while people were being bapt, you know, baptized in water, it had a negative connotation because you were baptized, you were cleansing yourself of all your sins and asking God to forgive you and you're repenting. And that's what that water baptism was all about. Do you understand? But this was different. This baptism with the Spirit, this was a promise of a new life. This was a promise of more power. This was God coming down on you. Amen? This wasn't just getting wet. This was actually something magnificent happening to you. Hallelujah. Amen? Alright. Now, can I once again say this, and let me mention this for those listening, for the benefit of those listening. Some people say, oh, you know, I don't speak in tongues. Does that mean I didn't get the Spirit? No, that's just one of the manifestations of it. Okay? God promised the Spirit to every single one that got saved. So, can I just tell you, take it for granted, you got it. Amen? And don't let people talk you out of that. And don't say, oh yeah, but you don't. Just, just tell them, shut up, please. No, don't get in a fight. No, okay? Just hush. Let's say, that's okay, that's good, I got it. Don't worry about it. Amen? Alright. Going back to what Leon Morris says, one of the things he says here is, the Spirit leads people into infinite divine spiritual resources. Now that's a key thing. Alright? These people didn't have access to that before. Do you hear me? They didn't have God's provision. They had to make do with what they had. And God would have to physically provide for them. You know, manna from heaven and birds dropping dead on, you know, little heart attacks as they, <laughs> you know, all oh, the quail, you know what I mean? <laughs> you just think, you know, a whole bunch of them flying and then suddenly they all have a little heart attack and die. And we have them for dinner that night, you know? They're feeding a million people, man, over, uh, I don't know how many million, in fact, you know, in the desert. Remember that? Okay, and, and <laughs> anyway, continuing on to verse 34. John the Baptist then goes in the same. And I have seen, and that vision is still before me, and testified, and that testimony still stands, that this is the Son of God, or more correctly, God's chosen one. Meaning that Jesus is the object of the divine call. The choice of none less than God that's fallen on him. William Hendrickson writes, This testimony of the Baptist reaches its glorious climax in the words, And I have seen and I have testified. I've done my job. He says that this one is the Son of God. The Baptist had heard the voice from heaven. Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. His testimony is, as it were, the echo of this voice. And that echo never fades. Amen? I love that. Okay. Let's go on, on a personal note now. It is at this point that I believe that some of John's disciples began thinking about following Jesus. This yet unknown preacher from Galilee, especially since John points him out, not only to be God's chosen one, but also the Lamb of God who is taking away the sin of the world. And the one who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things John said. Amen? And there are going to be some that walk off. Of course, there would still be those disciples of John. 
that would choose to remain separate from him. Even after John was imprisoned, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14, we have an incident that we'll look at when we get to. Because even John's own disciples, not all of them followed after Jesus. Now that's interesting, isn't it? We need to be careful that we're not so committed to a man that we stop being committed to God first. We need to be careful that our eyes don't fall off God and onto a person. And we think, oh well, you know, no, 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 I choose to follow this person. No, as Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. If I ain't following anymore, follow somebody else. (laughs) Okay? You need to find the person that's following God because God is first. In Matthew 9.14, we actually see this statement. After John is in prison, it says, Then the disciples of John, they haven't left John still, even though John's in prison. They're still his disciples. They've decided, well, bless God, we're John's disciples. We're going to stay that way. All right? It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, that's Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? There's a bit of resentment there. They're saying, How come you, you people never fast? Have you had religious people come to you and say that? How come you don't pray more often? What's wrong with you? We pray three hours every day. Yeah, we can see it on your face. Don't, don't get so proud and boastful of your religious acts. Remember what Jesus said? When you fast, shut up. He says, you know, put some cologne on. Don't go smelling like you're fasting. Amen? And, and don't, you know, because uh, the, the, we saw this in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, because the Pharisees used to put ashes on their faces and make a big deal. We're fasting. <laughs> And like, yeah, we can tell. Here, eat something. Okay? <laughs> you know? No, no, we have to suffer. Why? Do you all hear? Okay? Because some people like to flash their religiousness to everybody. And how do they know they're not fasting? I mean, they're not right now, but how do they know? And how does everybody know you're fasting? Because you're making a big deal out of it. You're announcing your fast. And it says, don't do that. Amen? So this very question, and we, you know, again, I'm getting ahead here, but when we get to this, we're going to see what all happened. Uh, this comes on the tail, I'll give you a little preview of what's coming. This comes on the tail of Matthew being called. You know, Matthew, you know, Levi, ripping people off, tax collector. Jesus comes past and he says, stop ripping people off, come follow me. And he goes, yeah, sure, okay. okay. And Matthew's so thrilled that that's very loose Roche translation, okay? It, actually, that's not how it happened, but anyway. But you know that's in the spirit, okay? And, 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 and Matthew's so thrilled, he puts a whole feast for Jesus. And of course Matthew's friends are tax collectors and sinners. Of course they are. And that's who we hung around with. That's who we went to the bar with. You know what I'm saying? And so he has a feast and he invites Jesus and Jesus comes and he's leaning and he's having food with tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> and there's John's disciples. What, what's he doing there? What's that? And the Pharisees going, Oh, look at that. He's meant to be the Messiah. Are you kidding? Look at that. He's, you, know, you know in those days they didn't have chairs. You know that. You know just to recline... So there's Jesus reclining with the tax collectors and sinners. So how are you today? Oh, I'm fine reclining back here, eating and carrying on. And these people are fasting. Oh, that looks so tasty. Oh, but we're fasting. We need to fast. Why aren't they fasting? And right out when they, some, some commentators believe that as soon as Jesus' disciples come out of that little, you know, that party, all right, they're going, well, we're fasting. How come you're not fasting? It's like, oh, shut up. Go have something to eat. 
Okay, so that's where this comes from, and we'll look at that as a lot of stuff. Boy, the things to come, man, it's going to really bless you. Because let me just say, and I said this on Sunday at church as well, some of you weren't here, so let me just uh, repeat it. In God's law, there's only one time in the whole year, if you want to fast, you can fast. Every other time, and that's again a bit of a voluntary thing, but you know, for those who want to do it, there's one time, one time, one time. All the other times are voluntary, and you shouldn't be telling anybody. Do you hear what I'm saying? Say, okay, that was the day of atonement, by the way. All right, we'll, we'll talk about all that when we get to those verses, when we look at it. But you know, can I just free you? Don't let people put pressure on you to fast. If they're feeling to fast, they need to fast. You know, misery loves company. You know, if I'm fasting, you better fast too. That's what's going on over here. Okay? And Jesus is saying, listen man, now's not the time for them. Okay, he's going to say, the time is going to come when I'm going to be taken away. They'll fast then. But not right now. This is not the time. What's there to fast about? He's healing the sick, raising the dead. When do you want to fast? Good stuff's happening. Amen? And uh, I want to preach on that, right? I can't, but it will go on and on and we'll never stop. Okay, let's stop there. When we get to it, I promise you, you'll be blessed. Okay? So, returning to the subject at hand, and looking next to the Spirit-filled Life Bible, it says that as the Lamb of God, Jesus justifies us and takes away sin. Remember 1 John 1, nine. If we confess or acknowledge our sin, He is faithful and just to do what? two things. To forgive and cleanse. To forgive and cleanse. Do you hear me? So not only does He take the sin away from you, but He puts you in a place where nobody can point a finger at you. God's justice is fulfilled. Okay? So that's what Jesus came to do. He came to justify us and take away our sin. And as the baptizer with and of the Holy Spirit, He fills us and endues us with an enabling power. So not only is He there to justify us and take away our sin, but He also baptizes us with power, the Holy Spirit. And remember the Holy Spirit isn't just power. He leads us and guides those that are led by the Spirit. Amen. He is the one that gives us information, understanding, knowledge. And we still haven't touched on the nine manifestations of the Spirit. Jesus had all nine working in Him all the time. Amen. That's why when He looked at somebody, He had word of knowledge, straight away He knew. Goes to a guy at the pool of Bethesda, and He's been in that condition for, I don't know, 39 years or whatever it is. He knew straight away. You need to have that knowledge. It is available to you. You get to peek into other people's lives, but you need to shut up. Just being really blunt. <laughs> okay? Don't talk. When God tells you something, you go, oh, they did what? Okay, we're not telling you anything anymore. <laughs> like, wow, dude, really? <laughs> okay? Alright, you know, Jesus wasn't that way. He goes to the woman at the well. He didn't go, oh, you sinful thing. How many husbands? And the one right now, really? No, you know, she'd go, what? <laughs> no, you know, he was so cool about it. He's like, oh, so, chat, 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 go bring your husband. Oh, yeah, I don't have one. Yeah, that's good you said that, because I know you have a, had a whole bunch of them, and now the one you're living with isn't. Oh, <laughs> you know, he just was so cool. He was never judging anyone. Hmm? So much to learn when we get to that. Some amazing things coming up, all right? Just letting you know. 
So this enabling power, that's what's brought out in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus says to his disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Family, notice again, he didn't say you'll receive power when you get dunked in water. But notice he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Okay, that's the city of Judea. And in all the land of Judea, all right, and the land of Samaria. Because these are all different areas now. I, I wanted to get a map up here, so let me just try and do that next time I'm with you. And to the ends of the earth, that's us. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay? Yeah, the gospel got to us. Okay? <laughs> Jesus prophesied it. So, it is this baptism that was to be the sign and the dynamic mark of every single believer of Jesus without exception. And why it says in Acts 2.4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was the thing that was to distinguish all of us, all right? It was the power, and at that point in time, it was important that people knew that something actually did happen. All right, so speaking in tongues was, was a key thing at that point in time. Again, please don't ever feel like if you're not speaking in tongues and you're not filled, you are. It's just a manifestation that might take a little bit extra time to come. And don't be surprised if you're already doing it and you don't even realize it. All right, we're going to stop there, because I believe the next thing is Jesus encounters his first disciples. I think that's our next subtitle. Is that the same in your books? Oh, good. How about we pick it up there next time? All right, let's call it a night. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.